Hello. Hello, John. Dan Benjamin, as I live and breathe. How are you? I'm well. Let me ask you, when you call me on the Skypes. Yes. It is, uh, you know, it's from the 5x5 five five number. Right. But there's no avatar. You're just, you're basically an oh egg. Oh my gosh. Now Merlin has his uh, little hot dogs ladies <laughs> uh, face. And I have a, you know, every one of my social media accounts has a different little avatar. Yes, I've noticed that. Because the Twitter avatar, as I think of it, is specifically for Twitter and for coffee mugs. Mm. But Instagram, I got a different one. And here on Skype, you see, I have a different little face. Yeah, I like that one. That's one of my but, favorites. But you have done, you have done no social media maintenance here in terms of fleshing out your Skype account. I'm going to fix that for you right now. Yeah. I'd like to see a little something. You know what? I don't know what it, I started five by five in 2009 with this mm-hmm. account early on. And no one has ever requested that. Oh, I change look it. at you. Yeah. You just appeared. Wow. It's so much better. <laughs> Yours is very, I will say it's very pixelated, but I don't care. You're wearing for people who, who don't frequently Skype with John. Mm-hmm. Let's keep that number to a minimum you have a uh you're wearing some very cool glasses that are almost i don't can i call them almost an aviator style they're slightly tinted they're very big and cool Mm. your hair is sort of i don't want to say it's combed forward but it's kind of going forward and across sort of like a reminiscent of the monkeys and the way they would have their hairstyle a little bit. Yeah, we used to call that the indie rock comb over. Right. Where it's like, you, you look like you have a comb over kind of, but you're not going bald. So why are you, <laughs> right. why are you doing that? I, that's, it's, not, it's not what it is, but it's, it, but it's what it look like, looks yeah. like. No, I, and, uh, and, and then it looks like, and I can't tell, you're in front of an orange background, which I assume is a bulldozer. Okay. And right. then, because that's where you would have taken this photo, in my mind. Right. And then you've got two, at least two shirts on, both of which <laughs> look like they're uh, like polo style, ten, you know, that style of prep shirt. But it looks yep. like there's two of them. One looks like a light blue. One looks like a slightly darker light blue over <laughs> it. <laughs> two, two polo shirts. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, your yours looks like you're in a sauna, except you're also <laughs> doing you're also doing a uh, a TED talk. Yes, got- <laughs> that's a, you would approve. I'm in front of Houndstooth Coffee on uh, on Lamar. Uh-huh. For people who have visited Austin, they know what that might be, and it, they have this really nice front. The whole little shopping area has like this uh, these wooden planks very much like you would find in a sauna or a man room mm-hmm. the cedar planks cedar, some, cedar planks yeah is this a contemporary picture of you is this is this recent yeah a few weeks months because, couple months you know that that's version of uh, the trimmed uh quaffed dan benjamin uh-huh. very <laughs> handsome no thanks you know you've got your I beard try. nicely trimmed but there but you know you've got a good mustache area sure um, so I'm glad that you threw that up there. I feel, I feel it's now, more you know, you know, who you're talking to anyway. Yeah. I feel like everybody should, should do their <laughs> due diligence where we're provided with lots of opportunities to put avatars places. And, uh, you know, you're not obligated to have a different avatar for every space, but, but certainly you should. When there, was there. yours taken? Yours is not recent. No, 10 years ago. Okay. 10 years uh, ago, you were, you were, you were quite handsome. Well, uh, you know, second, what was it? <laughs> the, I had third, 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 
third sexiest man. I had a, I had an Anton Chigurh haircut at that point, which didn't make any sense. I don't know why I thought that was going to work. And then the glasses are something that you would be prescribed. I think the it, it's it's one thing to have your lenses be prescription, but I think I think it's another thing to have your frames be prescribed by a doctor. The and frames were. The frames were because you would have to be someone who routinely fell on their face or ran into things <laughs> with their face to need glasses that were that sturdy. Um, they're like, they're kind of ridiculously, wait a minute, am I thinking of the, am I thinking of the right, right picture here? Yeah. Yeah. Those glasses are so, um, they're so heavy weight that they, you, you you have to be six feet taller, taller to wear them. They'll, they'll, they'll bow your head down. Yeah. They're kind of, they're, you still have them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still, I still have everything, Dan. I still have, well, yeah, what, what was that? Well, that actually is a, a, something I wanted to talk to you about today about things and saving things. And well, I'm, and <clears throat> I, you know, usually, usually we don't come, or at least I don't come to this program with anything in mind to talk about. But I do have, there's an 800 pound gorilla in my room Ooh. here in the form of eight 100 pound boxes that oh. people sent me six months ago that I still haven't opened. And I know that you and I both kind of got to the point where I was like, we can't just have this program be all about opening envelopes. Right. I even got one or two tweets from people saying, please stop opening envelopes yes. on your show. Yes. But I also, I've, I feel this obligation to people. They sent me these boxes and they're presumably tuning into this show for no other reason. They're, they're furious at us, but they keep tuning in, hoping that one day we will open their box so that they can, so this, the curse can be lifted <laughs> and they can, they can, their army of dead can fade back into the walls of their, of their doom cavern uh-huh. and, and let, uh, let the army pass on its way to Gondor. There you, go. there you go. Thank you. Thanks. Now, before we continue, I would like to apologize in case the audience, I know that you, you like most of our audience, are, are, you're an audiophile. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening and who hear a little noise in the background when I speak, when the, uh, when the noise gate clicks on to let me speak and clicks off when I'm done, you might hear a little bit of a hiss or one. I just want to describe the reason why this is going on. We have a, a kind of shitty little office next door to another shitty little office, and uh, the our neighbor who is next door to us controls the thermostat. Oh, and you know, you know what they say: whoever controls the thermostat controls the universe. Right, controls the spice. Yes, and uh, and he is not always in his office. Oh, so, even worse. So when so he it, comes in, he always seems to pick the time when the sun is on the other side of the building and it's cool over there. And so he always has a wonderful experience in, in mm-hmm. his office. But when, mm-hmm. when we're here the rest of the time, it's ridiculously, whatever the temperature is outside, uh, it, it is amplified in here. So if it's cold outside, it's even colder in here. And if it's hot outside, it's even hotter in here. Because I don't know how he has this thing set. And I think he's doing it just to, just to dick with us. Sounds like a wormhole. Yeah. But right now, it's... So I've got two fans 
and I had to move one of them out of the you room. More, otherwise, you have more fans than that, Dan. No, I got two. Uh, no, oh, come on. I've got two, <laughs> two fans <laughs> blowing the air. And, uh, and one of them is like one of the tall upright fans that you'd approve of because it's, it's at least 10 years old, 15 years old. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to blow air. So we have our hallway door propped open. We've got a fan blowing air from outside into that room and then trying to g- get it from that room into this room. But I had to kind of move one of them in such a way that, you know, so I could at least record because they're loud. So I apologize to the audiophiles in the audience who are disturbed by this. That's what it is. And that's what I'm hopefully he'll eventually come in and see the multiple notes on his door and do something. Multiple notes on his door. Yeah. The Dan Benjamin story. Right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm super glad that you, um, that you detailed that for us. Yeah. I just, because I feel I, I care about the audio quality a lot. I know you do. I know you do. And, and as you, as you said, we're all, all the listeners of this program are almost certainly, audiophiles yes myself included and um so it only makes sense that you would you know that you would care so much but also it's just it's just like talking right i mean this could just be like you know and people would still understand the words yeah I don't know. And I just don't want people to think I don't know about it. You know, that would be worse oh. for, for me if like if they if they thought, well, there's this crap on the on Dan's channel and he doesn't care. He doesn't right. know. No, I know. Right. See, this is the yeah, this is the nerd arms race. right? Yes. Oh, maybe you didn't notice. No, that. no. Right. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. I spend a lot of time on that um, on that bring a trailer dot com car site uh, that where the where all the old like wrench turning. Wrench what is turning. This? this is a site I've never even heard of. Bring a trailer started uh, several years ago, and the, the the premise was all around the country there are all these Craigslists and classified ads, and these cool cars come up for sale various different places that really have a pretty small enthusiast market that's right. nationwide. Right? If you're in the market for a for a uh, for like a Duesenberg, <laughs> how many people are there that are that really are your peers, right? And if one of those cars comes up for sale in the classified ads of some uh, Indiana town, it it uh, is because the people that are selling it don't understand that they're really selling this car to people in L.A. and and Miami and not to their local people. So the, so bring a trailer was, uh, you know, these people sort of, for lack of a better word, curating, but, but like, like gleaning from nation, national and international sources, all the coolest cars that they could find so that enthusiasts could have access to them. And then it, it attracted all the, the enthusiasts who have a tremendous body of knowledge. Right. And so every car that gets posted, there are sometimes hundreds and hundreds of comments of people who have owned that particular make of car, who have restored five of them, who know the ins and outs, every single little teeny piece of trim that is right and or wrong. Uh, all the problems, all the, all, you know, people on there just, singing the praises of cars and then other people slagging them off. And so I started looking at it 
um, because I'm an enthusiast and it has taught me more about cars than anything I'd, any other resource in my entire life. And well, it that's is saying a, something, isn't it? It's, a, it's incredible. And it's an, and it's a hilarious, hilarious group of about, there's probably 200 core people who know so much about cars and history and me- mechanics and sit there and just with this, like they just share this knowledge that otherwise again would be localized in their little worlds. But also these tend to be rich people too. Like they can afford to buy a Ferrari. Yeah. But they buy it in order to work on it themselves or they, you know, they like to tinker, but they're also, they're, they're also pretty much late middle age and, and rich enough to have 10 cars. And so it's this, Oh my God, it's this crazy place. People will get into arguments about which, you know, what uh, particular brad of nut it was originally used to hold the Pontiac straight 12 motor in the coach built 1924 wooden framed, uh, you know, what, what, whatever the hell I, I can't, I can't even make up funny mock language to describe the way these people talk because it is already intrinsically funny mock language. Like it's, it, they're, they are, they're talking about flim flams and spanners in a way that, uh, that I sometimes just sit back in my chair and cross my fingers over my, my tummy and, and and chortle. I'm not even going to say I chuckle. I chortle at how wonderful this site is. I go to it every single day. There are very few things on the internet I do every single day, but one of them is I go to bring a trailer and that there are a lot of things I'm not interested in on bring a trailer. Like I do not particularly care about formula one cars uh, because I'm an American and that's not to say that I, that I prefer NASCAR to formula one. I just don't care about formula one. Yeah. And we have a formula one thing here now. I know you do. I know it's very exciting. And I hope that I hope that pe- people that like European sports <laughs> and that think that formula one is the queen of all motorsports will have a wonderful time having access to it in America, in Texas. They seem to, but I just try and stay as far away from it as I can. You know, I, I was at uh, Monaco one year during the race. And um, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like people having a, it's like a weed whacker fight, basically. I mean, unless you paid a lot of money and you can see and you have someplace in the stands I like a weed you're describing the sound the sound but also if unless you have really really great seats which means that you can see every individual car for two seconds rather than one twentieth of a second mm-hmm. like if you're sitting somewhere and and it's and you paid a you paid ten thousand dollars for that seat you can see a car go and that's like the extent of it if you if you don't have that <laughs> then all you all you see is a blur your eyes can't possibly take in the cars but what you hear is <laughs> for hours at a time it's it's like the, the entire town is turned into what it must sound like to be in a hornet's nest 
uh, but louder. And I was just like, why? At least NASCAR, if you set up, you don't even have to pay good money. You can sit on a, in the stands and all the cars are doing is turning left. They're just going around and around to the left, but you get a, you, you can take it all in. Right. So I don't know the, the whole formula one versus NASCAR argument is something I probably shouldn't have weighed into at all because I'm going to get a lot of angry letters. Uh, so there are a lot of things on bring a trailer. I don't really care about. I'm not really into like triumph TR sixes and I'm, and for the, for the life of me, I don't really care about any BMW made after 1982. I don't care how sporty they are. So and it's these the point g- that, that these are like auctions and people who are selling these, right? And this is like a way to link to really good auctions of these kinds of vehicles? Yeah, right. I mean, somebody is, let's, let's go down here. So somebody's selling their 10,000 mile, it's only got 10,000 miles on it. It's a 1993 Volkswagen Corrado with the VR6. And as you know, Dan, the, the VR6 is a six-cylinder motor that's turned sideways in the car. Right? So it's not a it's not a V6. The R means that the motor has been rotated. Right. Which is very it's very sporty. But um so if you are an enthusiast, if you're just a um Joe Blow, let's let's talk about Joe Blow. And if Joe Blow is listening to the show, please don't write me. So Joe Blow looks at this car and he's like, it's some kind of early 90s Volkswagen that nobody really liked. Like the Corrado did not survive. It looks like it looks like what it is, which is that Volkswagen had the beloved Scirocco for many years. People loved the Scirocco. But then the Scirocco kind of morphed into like a pregnant porpoise. And then the Corrado was like a Scirocco knockoff. And the, the Corrado didn't do that well either. And Volkswagen just got out of that whole Scirocco Corrado business. But so here's this thing. It's not a beautiful car. It's not a particularly legendary car. But it is a sporty car. And it's got the, it's got the hopped up V6 motor. And it's a, it's a small car, a light car. And so it can go fast. It's pretty zippy. Let's call it zoomy. It's only got 10,000 miles on it. So if you are the one guy in America who treasures and collects Volkswagen Corrados, let's say, let's say you've got a poster of a Volkswagen Corrado on your wall because you graduated from high school in 1993 and it was the thing. It was the car that you desperately wanted. And now here it is 23 years later. Right. You can now afford it. You're a grown person. You can now afford this car. And here it is. It's only got 10,000 miles on it. And it could be yours. And so that's what this site is about. It's not for every, for every like half a million dollar Ferrari that's on here. There's this kind of, this kind of little thing that you look at and you go, why the hell is that on there? But when you piece it all together, this is a really low mileage example of a very sporty little car that's that can be had very cheaply. And and that was the that was the concept I think originally. And then it, it got the the site got colonized a little bit by the like the the the, the listing right underneath that Corrado is a 1969 Lamborghini Espada. Mm. 
And that's not the prettiest Lamborghini either or the most desired Lamborghini, but it is a Lamborghini. And let's click through to eBay. It's already at $78,000. Wow. With eight days left to go on the auction, 19 bids, reserve not met. So at 80,000 bucks, you know, and, and if you look at it up until pretty recently, I think universally everyone would have agreed that the 69 Lamborghini Espada was one of the most awkward looking sports cars ever, ever, ever made. It looks like you took a sports car and then you jammed another kind of car into the back of it. Like the, if you if you just look at the front of it, you're like, Oh yeah, I see. It's kind of a cool sixties Italian car. And then you're like, what the hell? Why is there a, like a Jaguar humping it or, you know, like the- <laughs> it does. It does look weird. And I, I don't know if I've ever seen one of these in person. These are well, a crazy cool looking car. Yeah. You hardly would ever see one in person because the only people that own these things live in, in Italy. <laughs> well, in Italy or in Los Angeles right. or, but you know what it is effectively is a lamb. It's a four person Lamborghini. So it's a, so it, it does have a, it is cool in that sense. You can, t- you can carry four adults comfortably in like a, like a very cool Italian sports car. If you look at the interior of it, it's phenomenal, totally gorgeous. Anyway, so who can afford this car, right? Who can afford what is surely going to be $150,000 or more for this thing? You have to be a certain kind of, it's a very small market of person who is rich enthusiastic enough about cars to want a kind of unlovely. um, Yeah. Yeah. Like this isn't going to be your daily driver. You're going to buy this car and put it in your stable of cars. You probably have six of them. And this is the one you've all, this is the thing that completes your collection or whatever. So I love this site because I am somebody, I don't, I don't myself want a 1993 Volkswagen Corrado, but I don't have to scroll very far to see something I do want. Like for instance, this 1967 Volvo 122 S with a B20 motor and overdrive transmission. It's only $10,000 in Cohasset, Massachusetts. Wow. Uh, And it's got the wrong Review mirrors. I mean, I, I've been on this site long enough to know to be able to look at a picture of a car and be like, hmm, those aren't the right mirrors. Even, even a car I've never owned before because I've spent so much time. Yeah, I've spent a lot, a lot of time hanging out with these people. Now, I'm, I'm looking at this 1982 Datsun 280ZX. Well, which I was I'm a sure very cool car for me at that time. I loved that car. And did you like it in that burnt copper color? I don't, good memory. I don't like it in the copper color. Yeah. And that's the only thing that right now is keeping me from when they're only asking six grand for it. I know. I know. Now, this if that the, was, if that was a different color, hmm. this is what's very tantalizing about this site. And the thing about the 280 ZX, of course, in 1982, yeah, I was, I thought it was pretty hot too, but in my years of trolling the car sites of the internet, I realized that the, that the Z car to have is the 240 Z. I know 240Z. That yeah, that was the original Z car, the iconic one. And then the 260Z was a brief moment in between the 240 and the 280Z. And when we were kids, 
all we ever talked about was 280Zs. Right. No, no one ever said 240Z. No. You always were 280Z, 280Z. Oh, it's a 280Z. The way that you can tell the difference between the 240 and the 280, I think, is that the 240 has kind of the more of a scooped out headlight, right? I'm going to have to look at pictures for this. Well, so. Yeah, it does. The the but what happened with the two eighties is they started making the they started making the them longer and longer in mm. the in the rear, right? A two forty has no back seat. It's just there's just a there's room for luggage. Oh, I see there. that. Okay, and then Dotson was like, "Well, you know, you want to be able to you want you want to be able to throw the kids in the back, or you know, like they just they changed the." They changed the dimensions just enough that it started to, if you will, if I were writing about this on bring a trailer's comment section, I might even use the word pervert. It had it perverted <laughs> the the elegant lines of the 240Z. Uh-huh. <laughs> pervert, pervert, pervert. So, so and you know and there are guys on uh, uh there there are people who are all about 60s muscle cars. There are people that are all about 60s European cars. There are people that are all about late model. I mean, here's a 2005 Mercedes AMG wagon, which is like, it looks like a modern car. It effect- effectively is. It's 10 years old. Um, so there are enthusiasts of contemporary cars that don't really care about 60s muscle cars right. and all of these people on there arguing with each with each other all the time uh which is and but arguing very respectfully right they're not calling each other names they're just saying well if you knew how many foot pounds of torque that had <laughs> you wouldn't be crowing about you know and 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 they're using real you know the technical talk to to take each other to school a little bit and there'll be people arguing, arguing, arguing about like, oh, are those door handles original on that Porsche 356? I don't think they are. They look aftermarket. That's a, that's a Volkswagen part. And then some, some voice will, will weigh in and you realize that this person knows everything. <laughs> and a hush will fall over the comment section while this one person who seems to, who, who doesn't seem to because this crowd will sniff out a faker. Oh yeah. But someone will come in and it's it's evident that they have restored 42 Porsche 356 wow. in their lives. <laughs> and they're just like, well, actually. And it's not but they it doesn't have that smug internet actually because most of these people are 65 years old, right? So they're so they they actually come correct with the with the actual knowledge and you just you just have to take a seat and say Thank God. Thank God for this site. I wish there was a site like this for people that were rebuilding steam locomotives because I would be on there all day. We would like to thank our sponsor. It's audible, the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment anywhere on the internet. Audible includes more than 250,000 audio programs from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, you name it. The book that you're looking for is going to be on Audible. They've got a free app for iPhone, iPad, Android, Windows Phone. And here's the cool part. When you buy a book on Audible, like it's yours, you keep it. 
it's yours forever. And these apps are really cool because not only can you read the apps, but if you're like a Kindle person too, and you've got the book on your Kindle or on your Kindle app, when you listen to the audiobook, it'll sync it with where you last read it. And then you go back, you read the book, it'll sync the audiobook with that. It's really cool. The apps are really smart. All this stuff is just built in. And, uh, and I love it. Audible is a really, really great thing. And you know what? I can't recommend highly enough. If, if you have kids and you're going to be doing a drive with your kids, or even if, even if you don't have kids, the Harry Potter books, the way those things are narrated, the narrator of them are amazing. Any one of those things, highly recommended. Go check it out. Audible has made a very special uh, URL just to support this show. Audible.com slash roadwork. You'll get a free 30-day trial membership and a free book. Go get one of the Harry, go get the first Harry Potter book. It's free and you keep it forever even if you don't continue with the service. So go check it out, audible.com slash roadwork. Just go there and sign up. It'll support the show and get a free book out of it. Go check them out. These are really cool cars. And you know, something occurs to me as, as I'm listening to you talk about the 240 versus the, the 280. Yeah. The 240 was very much an early mid 70s. Right. Car. Late, late 60s. Yeah. Really? And then. The 280 was very much an early 80s mm-hmm. car, which I think makes sense why, because like at that time, newer, at least in my world, like newer was always better. Yeah. And so like if there was a, if I had seen a 240 around, I would have been like, oh, that's an old car. The 280 is automatically better because it, it's new. But do you remember the 300? Oh, sure. The 300 ZX. Those I, were very hot cars. See, I, I did not like those as much. I really, and see, because by then, I was starting to realize that older things maybe were cool. Mm, yeah, but there's a whole generation of people, I think, that will think that the 300ZX is the real sweet spot. But like, I, let me suggest <laughs> to people who are reading along. Uh, you can scroll, get lost in this world. Yeah, scroll down a couple of pages back to a listing that says Road Train, 1929 Packard Model 645 Deluxe 8 Convertible. And if you'll, if you'll just click on that oh, listing. Oh, look at that one. I'm putting these in the show notes. Show notes are going to be at uh, 5x5.tv slash roadwork slash 27. If you, if you scroll down through the whole listing of the Packard, which comes with its own custom-made luggage that goes with the car really oh look at that complete with its cunard uh boarding tags oh man yeah so here's this motor here this packard straight eight and if you go down if you go down and just read the comments and i would start i would start uh sort of at the earliest there's there's an option of read the comments like most recent or oldest first I would go all the way back and just read the conversation about this 29 Packard because, you know, this, this site, Bring a Trailer, is not called the 20s Packard Enthusiast website, <laughs> right? Most of the cars that are on this site are like Alfa Romeos and BMW M3s. And, and um, I mean, every day there are four Porsche 911s and... They love Miatas because Miatas are the are the ultimate sports car, apparently. 
if you, if you listen yeah. to these nerds. Oh, yes. But then every once in a year, something like this comes along. 1929 Packard, model 645. But then you read these comments and all of a sudden, like the depth of knowledge and the total wankery that pours out of this crowd when you show them this car with like wooden wheels where they're just talking about like, um, you know, the, how to bump up the compression on, on the seventh cylinder in a straight eight. But it's just, uh, I can only applaud. I can only slow clap. And, uh, and I'm grateful for this <laughs> site. And I think that I hope that the archives are maintained lovingly somewhere because it's, because it represents as these people die, no one will ever know as much about this Packard car as the people that are commenting on this website right now. And it, it will abs- it absolutely, I think will be like a, like a repository of a certain kind of knowledge that there's no other place to collect it. Cause it's not a shop manual. Nobody's sitting there and like giving you step-by-step instructions on how to dismantle it. It's all that it's all impressionistic too. It's like, how does this car feel to drive? What did this car mean when my grandfather bought it? You know, what was it like to, to, you know, to ride down to town in one of these things, like all that kind of conversations happening too. I don't know. I will, I'll go on and I would do an entire podcast. Just, just scrolling through, bring a trailer and commenting on each out car. loud on each car, because I never comment on the site itself because I am totally a lurker. I'm like a, I am a lurker. I have nothing to add here except to rejoice. You know, the only thing I could ever say is like, uh, and I would just get, I wouldn't even get flamed. They would just flame me by not acknowledging that I existed. And so why do that to yourself? Just stay quiet. And, but I would love to, I would love to have a podcast where I was just like, wow, look at this. Look at that car. Oh, that car sucks. Oh, those mirrors are wrong. (laughs) Other than the fact that these cars are kind of cool looking and remind you of times gone by. What do you think the allure is for people who really like they, and I, and it's weird because like I felt this way too. It's like you get to a certain age where you're like, you remember that car that I really wanted when I was 15 or 17 or something, you know, usually a teenage year. If you're a guy, you think back and you're like, yeah, you know, like, I could have I could afford that car now. I could get that car now. I couldn't get it then. I had to drive a Honda Civic. But now I could get I could like actually get that car. But there's a lot of people who don't just think about it then they actually go and they get they get the car. They go and they buy the car. And then they have it. And maybe they work on it, maybe they don't, maybe they take it out, you know, on Saturday afternoon, drive it around down down the hill. Like what? It, why? Why do people? I mean, it seems like you spend a lot of time thinking about cars. I spend almost no time thinking about cars. I have I have this conversation a lot. You know, I ask my um, I ask my friends. It comes up in conversation, and I'm always very curious uh, which one of my friends are are car people. And it's a it's a question I ask I, that I that I kind of subtly slip in to conversation. What's your favorite car? 
or like, what was your first car? And a surprising majority, I think, of the people I know have really nothing to say. You know, what was my first car? I don't know. It's a Honda. And I'm just like, right there, I know that we're not, there's no conversation to be had in that corner. Like, I'm not going to take it there. I'm not going to share anything with that person about cars and probably about locomotives or tugboats either, right? Like they're just, if they say that their first car was, I don't know, shrug some Honda, I'm mm-hmm. just, it's over, right? And that's not to say that I, I don't love that person or maybe I won't really appreciate the music they make or that, that we won't be wonderful, wonderful friends. But it's entirely possible for your first car to have been a Honda but if if you're a car person, you will talk about it with some love or some emotion, at least. You know, you could say, oh, my first car was a Honda Civic and it was blank. Insert any word there. But as long as you're interested to go to, the, to that next sentence, then there's like, oh, wow, okay, you're into cars. And I know most of my friends just just aren't. Cars are just things that, I mean, I have the conversation with, with um, and some of it is just the cars and all these things that perform a utility. A lot of people just don't see past the utility, and it's because their brains are being used for other things, or or they recognize that the thing is a tool, and whatever the aesthetic qualities that are that are, you know, like a well made tool, just sort of, it's like whatever. I mean, you know, there are a million people every day that buy cheap hammers because they just buy it to hang hammer in a nail and then they throw it in the bottom of a drawer and maybe they see it once a year, but there are other people that collect hammers, right? right? C- right. Collect beautiful hammers over the course of time. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody listening to this show didn't have a collection of hammers. So, I don't know why both my mom and dad loved their cars and my mom and dad loved their cars in different ways. Neither one of them really ever had, let's be honest, even a nice car. They both drove jalopies, just kind of junkers. I mean, my mom at one point bought a a Chrysler Sebring convertible that was two years old and she treated it like it was a Bentley (laughs) and still talks about it. Like it was a Bentley, like, Oh, this 90, 96 Sebring, a real, a real classic. She would, (laughs) I'm like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Mom. She's like, no, no, no. It was the first year of that Sebring body style. And it was very classic. One day it'll be recognized as a classic. Like, well, all right. It'll be recognized as a classic because 99% 99% of them have been crushed and the five that remain are like, yeah, right. That is, that's a, it's a rare car now. Rare is not the same as, as valuable. But so my folks were really into cars and neither one of them was, I mean, ne- neither my mom or dad ever changed the oil in their own car. For instance, I've already done more work on my vehicles than both of them combined. So it's not like we had a garage and everybody was out there in their, in their dungarees fixing cars. It was just a, it was just a mentality of like, cars are cool, right? Cars are cool. We'd drive down the street and my mom would say, look at that. 
you know, that's a 64 Belvedere. And my girlfriend had one of those or, or I drove across the country in a 1953 Chevy. I mean, I have a, I have a picture on my mantelpiece of the, of the 53 Chevy that my mom drove across the country in 57. I don't know why I have it up there. It's, I found it in a, in a box and I was like, that's cool. That's the car my mom drove out West (laughs) up on the mantle. It goes. So it's a, so cars become a way of, it's just another way of, of seeing the world and, and, seeing history, but also just kind of loving, beautiful things. I mean, Dan, when you and I were kids in the Mm eighties, there were still, and particularly in the seventies, there were tons and tons of cars from the fifties on the road and cars from the sixties were still half the cars on the road. Even in 1982, right? There were cars from the sixties, and see, this is what this is what people always get wrong about period pieces when they're trying to have something set in the 80s or set in the 70s. And they'll be like, oh, it's going to be it's supposed to take place in 1977. So let's get a whole lot of 70s cars. There is a lot of 50s and 60s cars that are nowhere to be found. Yeah. That's yeah. why it always bothers me. Every movie and TV show. Look, and no, no, there were no. It's not like everybody got a new car that day. <laughs> right. Like the guy, my my boss. Uh, when I was in high school, he drove like a 54 Ford that was kind of rusty and, car. Yeah. One headlight sort of pointed over that way. And almost every cool kid in, so I graduated in 86, every cool kid that cared about cars had a sixties or seventies, early seventies muscle car, right? Like my, I had a 75 Fiat spider and a 74 Chrysler Imperial. And I was, if anything, those were, those were later cars. Most of the people I know had 72, like a 72 Bronco or a 70 Camaro or something. And that's, I mean, none of my, my, none of my actual friends in high school, they were all driving Audi Foxes, but, but the cool kids, right? The ones that were out there, you know, they were all sixties and seventies cars. And that was true until I don't think. Well, I guess until the 90s, but now you drive down the freeway and if you see any car that stands out even at all, it's, it's a shocker, right? Like I'll, I'll, I'll see a car way up ahead on the freeway and I'll, I'll speed up and I'll change lanes just to get over to see it. And it's a 74 Dodge Dart. It's not even something, right? I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have walked across the parking lot to see it 10 years ago, but now just seeing one of those cars on the road is so unusual. And, and, and also driving an old suburban like I do, I'm always on the lookout for people. What year? I meant to ask you that. What year is your suburban? Well, it's a 79, but it, but it, but it definitely conveys that it is a, it's a seventies suburban rather than a, than an eighties one. Right? Right. And there are subtle differences, but I'm always on the lookout for enthusiasts and for people that are where their head is going to turn as the truck goes by. Because I'm one of those people. If if that if my suburban drove past me on the street, I would I'd be like, "Whoa, check it out!" And I'm and I'm continually disappointed at the number at the at, at the scarcity of people that want to stop and talk about it. 
and it ha- it happens enough that I that I know that I'm not crazy. I got on a ferry boat not very long ago in the suburban, and the the people that were that were working for the ferry, they all kind of crowded around the truck and were pretending not to be ogling it, <laughs> looking at it out of the corner of their eyes because they were busy trying to you know pretending that they were working. I was like, it's okay, you guys. You can come. It's all right. It won't. It won't bite. It's nice. You can come take a look at it. And then they had a bunch of questions about it. That's always really fun. And I don't even, it's a suburban's not even, it's not like I'm driving a, a Duesenberg. I don't know why I keep coming back to Duesenberg. It's the, it's, it's just a very fun word to say. Our second sponsor, it's a brand new one, Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. I know that you've been in this situation and I'm always in, it seems like in this situation where I want to eat something good. I want to eat something healthy, but I have no idea what to make. So you wind up making that same like chicken dish that you've made three times already this week and three times a week before and three times a week before and it gets really boring. Blue Apron is here to sort of change all of that. And they do it in a way that supports a more sustainable food system uses really high standards for ingredients. And uh, you know what? They're like building a community of home chefs. It's really, really cool. They have partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, ranches across the U.S. so that their seafood is sourced sustainably. The beef is raised humanely. The chickens are free range. The pork is raised naturally. And they're using regenerative farm practices. So if you get your food from Blue Apron, not only are you going to get a meal that's like really healthy, for you and good for you and tastes great, but it was uh, created in a humane way. They can deliver to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99.5% of food deserts. And because they ship the exact amount of each ingredient you required for a recipe, they're reducing this food waste. Have you heard about the food waste problem? They eliminate the food waste problem. And it's so nice. You get this great food. You make it. I had this chicken dish the other night. I don't even like chicken, first of all. I don't even like chicken. But this chicken dish was amazing. And it like comes out of your own kitchen. And it sends you exactly all the right stuff. It tastes like a it smells like a restaurant. You start making this, your spouse shows up, they're like, oh, did you bring you get takeout? You say, yeah, got takeout. No, I cook this. That's you know what? That could be their slogan. I cook this. They're gonna have to run with it. Just an idea, guys. So go check it out. Blue apron. Incredible ingredients, incredible meals for less than $10 per meal. And the recipes are always changing. Seasonal recipes, great ingredients, home-cooked meals. Blueapron.com slash roadwork. You can check out this week's menu and you will get two meals free with free shipping. Blueapron.com slash roadwork. But yeah, I mean, some. I have a really good friend whose dad is a total gearhead. His dad is always rebuilding motorcycles. His dad just loves talking about cars. Oh, he'll talk to me. Boy, you know, he and I will just go go crazy talking about cars. And his son, who's actually my friend, couldn't care less. Drives a Prius. Ugh. Couldn't care less. And his dad's like rebuilding Triumphs. <laughs> and his his oldest boy just could not give a fuck. And so sometimes I guess it skips a generation or I don't know, maybe it's a form of rebellion. If your dad's got grease under his fingernails that you become 
uh, that you go a different direction. I don't know what Dan, I did not want to take this entire program and turn it into a, like a, a geography of, of car nuts. Cause I don't even, I know I, I don't feel I qualify. Right. I mean, I don't, I change a water pump in a, on a motor and I like do a victory lap. <laughs> I, I want like garlands and somebody to pop a champagne bottle over my head. Cause I changed a part. Right. It's not like I'm, it's not like I'm out there boring out the, my pistons. Like I just, I'm the classic example of somebody that, sh- that if I were rich, I would have a bunch of expensive cars or a bunch of weird cars. I don't think I'd have that Lamborghini Espada, but I would have, I'd have seven weird cars and I'd have to hire somebody to work on them. You know, I, I'd have to take them to the shop <laughs> and, and, and that's a kind of enthusiast, but it's not the same as these, as these uh, people that just want to, just want to rebuild the motor. That's what it's where they feel the most secure, I guess. So I was very into like in my high school time, I was got very into the mechanics aspect of, of the car. Like I wanted to understand it. I wanted to know how to, how to fix a car, not build a car or rebuild a car. And I was never even, all of my friends were interested in like bodywork stuff. Really? Like, yeah, like they wanted to get an old car and they wanted to, oh, let's do some body work on the car, you know, not Bondo, but like actually like getting into it, repaint. And that was just never, it wasn't even a little bit interesting to me. I was much more interested in the mechanics of it. Yeah. You know, how does it work? And, and you know, what? and a big part of it for me was trying to save money because inevitably the cars that I always had were older and they always had problems. And so knowing how to fix things or even just do general maintenance, whether it's kind of like oil change and, and up from maintenance stuff, oil change and down, I guess you'd say. That was important to me. And so I thought that the best way to learn it would be to go and work like at one of the little like lube gas station type places. Yeah. And so there was like a gas station that was hiring for like the kid that would drive the cars up, put them on the lift, do the oil change and rotate the tires. And uh-huh. then like from there you would learn slowly as the other, the real mechanics in the place would do work on the cars. And they were theoretically, they were supposed to teach me, but they never taught me anything. And I hated mm-hmm. that job, <laughs> but I sure did learn how to do oil changes really quick. Did, did you change the oil on your own car? Currently? No. no. Because your your garage is full of uh, tarantulas. It well, yes, that is a a big part of it. The other part of it is it's also full of you know my kids' crap now. And and the third part, which is probably the biggest reason, is that the car that I have now is is a Japanese car, and I would have no idea how to even approach locating the oil pan. Like I wouldn't. I would have no clue how to do any of that. I sure can change a tire and I haven't, I haven't had to call AAA for a flat tire ever. And I've changed the tire on this car and pretty much every car mm-hmm. that I've ever had. That's, that's, I mean, like I know grown men our age who have never changed a tire and wouldn't know what to do. 
would, would have no idea if they if they got a flat tire they're hoping AAA comes and, and saves the day for them and i just can't imagine that yeah i i over the years i have had that experience with several friends where the where we would get a flat driving along in their car and they would say they would start to freak out what you know what are we going to do style freak out yeah i would say well pull over and let's change the tire right i mean i've got it down i have my son uh like in uh christmas story like i'll have my son time me oh really yeah i got it down but like what? oil change forget it no i'm not even gonna try i i stopped changing the oil for you know probably about five or six years ago when the car that i got at that point would just no longer it was it was too new and too japanese and too too tight in there to do it, I used to have I used to have uh, a Mazda RX seven, 1984, maybe eighty two, eighty four RX seven with the tiny little Wankel rotary engine in there. Uh-huh. The whole front of the car was empty; nothing was in there. The engine you could wrap your arms around the engine was so small. A lot of our listeners are going to not understand anything we're talking about, but they're <laughs> particularly not going to understand how novel the rotary engine <laughs> right. is. And let me just suggest to everyone, if even if you have a, even if you think you know what a rotary engine does, go Google a rotary engine and just take a quick look at it. I think there are probably lots of little animations of how a rotary engine works. <laughs> I'll find some. Yeah. Re- uh, relative to what we all, we all use piston engines. And and I think most people are unaware that there's a, there's a completely other kind of internal combustion engine based on a totally different concept. Uh, and they're in cars driving around all the time, a small, very no, small number of Mazdas. Yes. Uh, and, and, and that always surprises me that, um, that, th- that those cars aren't, that there's not sort of a bigger deal made out of them. Right? Like, the Hemi, right, Do- right. Dodge puts the word Hemi in letters bigger than the word Dodge on any car that's equipped with a Hemi, and that's not anywhere near as novel uh, an engine like design as the as the phenomenal rotary engine. And I keep wondering, I keep wondering if the rotary engine. What what amazes me about it is that the design could be so much different than a piston engine. And yet the efficiency of it, the, the power output relative to um, fuel is sort of more or less about the same as a piston. I mean, it's like you would think that the design would be so novel that it would, it would make an, inc- an incredible amount more of horsepower or be so much more efficient. Right. But you would develop that you'd go to the trouble and develop this whole other whole other concept of motor. And yeah, you put it in the car. It's about the same (laughs) car kind of drives along just like other cars and goes fast when it needs to go fast. But like those cars are driving around and there's no there's not even a little emblem on them. And it looks like a little rotor. It's like rotary. I just think that's I've always been surprised at that. I think it's think it's funny and weird. No, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, it, at the time, it was a, uh, it was a, like a novelty, and I learned about it, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so after I bought the car, 
I bought it from a pilot. Right. And he he was selling it. I noticed on my pizza delivery route that he had a for sale sign in the window of it. And I asked him, I said, I see you're selling your car. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, I said, well, you know how much? And I, I forget exactly how much it was, but it was something I felt like I could afford from the payment I got from when my Honda had been stolen. And uh, he... He's like, well, I got it because, you know, it's, it's, it's got a rotary engine. We use those in, in our aircraft. I said, oh, okay. And uh, it, was a fun, it was a fun car. I took that out on the Sawgrass Expressway as fast as it would go. And it, it went pretty fast. It was a fun car. Yeah, like, it was were... fun. Like, you could do that kind of thing back then. You had your little radar detector up. Did you have a radar detector? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course I did. It never worked. But that's what I get for buying it at the flea market in Sunrise. Did you have a radar detector ever? No. No. No, because uh, because I'm not like a, a rum runner. No, you you had to have it in Florida. Man, I got so many speeding tickets until, and and I didn't care until the judge finally sentenced me to the eight-hour driving course, and then everything changed. I completely changed my entire perspective, and I haven't really—I don't speed. I was twenty-one years old, so since then, twenty-two some years, I haven't haven't sped. Don't drive fast anymore. Is that right? Good yeah. for you. Yeah, have to. I had to make a change. I'm very good at making at making changes when there's a clear reason for me to. I'm very good at that, but it it takes a lot to get me to that point, like an eight hour driving school. <laughs> you don't want to do that twice. No. John and I would like to thank Parachute. They're an online betting brand. Great sleep starts with your sheets. You know that it's true. And they have created a line of everyday bedding essentials from uh, sheets to comforters that will improve your sleep. We all want to improve our sleep. I want to improve my sleep. You go check the, the website out. Super, super easy to use. And then the stuff that you want to get, the bedding you pick out, delivered right to your front door. It's easy. They have free shipping. They have free returns. And they have a 30-night risk-free guarantee. So you can rest easy. Get it? This is the best kind of sleep that you can get. And you know what? They also do this safe sleep thing. They partner with the United Nations Nothing But Nets and they send these uh, bed nets out to fight against uh, these mosquitoes with the malaria. And the experience is great. The website couldn't be easier to use, which you expect, right? You expect it to be easy to use. It is. Incredibly easy to use. You go there, pick out the sheets that you want, and they send them to you and you try them for 30 nights. It's really, really nice stuff. I highly recommend the linen. Listen to me. I saw this. I'm like, linen, come on, please. Oh, linen. Linen sounds like some, you know, fancy thing that you wear, like on, you get a linen suit and you wear it out on the islands or something. But this is, it, it's amazing. I was very worried that the linen would be too warm. It's not, it's really cool. But then the night we, we got this weird thing where it got really cool at night. Guess what? It stays warm. It's like the, per, it's like the perfect sheet. So this is what I want you to do. Go to parachutehome.com slash roadwork. Parachutehome.com slash roadwork 
You get your new sheets. You get your uh, duvets, which they spell with a T. And other bedding essentials, $25 off your first order if you use the code ROADWORK. So support the show, parachutehome.com slash roadwork. And save 25 bucks with the code ROADWORK. Let me, let me, I, I wanted to just go back for a second. When, when you said that the pilot bought the RX-7 because it had a rotary engine and that's what he used in airplanes. That's what he said. I never verified this. There's a, there are two, the term rotary engine can apply to two different kinds of engine. And the, the rotary engine that you are, um, that the RX-7 has. That's the thing with sort of the, I don't want to call it a triangle. I'm sure there's a name for mm-hmm. that shape, mm-hmm. but the triangle kind of bumping around inside of the, uh, inside of the chamber. Yeah. That, it has, that's it the ha- RX-7 kind, but I think the, the kind in an aircraft is different. Like it's yeah. pistons somehow. Yeah. A rotary engine in an aircraft has pistons and the engine like, uh, and they're, they're oriented in a, in a rotary fashion. Um, but it's not the same thing. Central hub. No, a totally different kind of motor. I just wanted to make sure and say that because. Well, we have oh, listeners who would get very upset. Well, this is the type of thing, right? They're, yeah. they're sitting there going, I didn't know. I, I can't tell if Dan knows that he's, that there's popping and clicking in his microphone. <laughs> I definitely don't want to hear from no. those people. They're like, that's not a rotary. Let's think about the other kind of rotary engine. Yeah, no, I knew I, I thought I didn't know how similar they were. I knew there was something different, but anyway, that was the reason he gave me. They all burn gasoline. This is what's amazing to me. They all burn gasoline. <laughs> they all do. No one has ever in the last hundred years of cars and boats and planes and like we all committed to this dumb idea of gasoline and here we, it's the only now, only now are we really getting serious about cars that don't burn gas. What's your take on that, on an electric car? Forget the self-driving thing for now. What do you think of the concept of an electric car? I'm 100% behind an electric car. I think that in very short amount of time, we're already to the point now where the oil companies are recognizing that the writing's on the wall. If I were, if I were going to invest money right now, it would not be in oil, oil companies. Yeah. And there's still, you know, there's still a ways to go. It's not all over for them right away, right away. But, um, electric cars are just, they're just, they're not just better. They're actually cooler. I mean, well, certainly I think the Tesla, I got to test drive one of those and those are, really really cool they're super cool and they go and they go faster i mean they accelerate faster they have more torque they're just they're just cooler i I was having this conversation i was down in san francisco the other day and hanging out with some you know tech techie people my tech friends my tech lady (laughs) and you gotta go to san francisco to find those people you really do yeah but the degree to which new technology uh, succeeds or fails based on how cool it is and and 
how much the people who are introducing it ha- understand what cool is. And there are two in, in, incredible examples of recent technologies where the technology itself is very cool. But the problem was that the people introducing the technology, it's not that they were unaware of cool. It's that they are the, that they have no idea what is cool. Right. And the two examples are, I think you could probably name them. I'm thinking consumer technology, super, super cool technologies that were introduced in the most uncool way that basically torpedoed the product. Well, Even what, though, what are you thinking of? Which ones? Well, the first one obviously is the Segway. There was so much hype about how the Segway was, you know, this, this incredible well, idea didn't they have a nickname for that at the time. It was like a, a woman's name or a girl's name. The nickname for the Segway code or for the for Segway. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what the code name was, but yeah, the, before the Segway came out, there was all this talk about like a new product that's going to revolutionize the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and seriously, they were talking about it. Like, I think a lot of us who were reading the press leading up to it, were like, did they invent a hovercraft code name? Ginger, the, ginger, ginger, because the way the, 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 the tone in which they were talking about the Segway suggested an innovation on the level of hovercraft, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a, a thing we've all been waiting for. It's going to be the death of the automobile. It is a, it's a new technology that will blow your mind. You won't even believe that what it's capable of. And we're just like, it's gotta be a hovercraft. What else could it be? Like we've all been watching uh, television shows and movies for the last 50 years where hovercraft was, People are have anti-gravity devices and some, some tech genius has finally done it. Anti-gravity device. I can't wait to see this thing. And then on the big rollout day (laughs) out, they come on this, on this thing where you're like the, the moment that the, that the, that initial person, I mean, I was watching, right? I was just like, what is I got to see the fucking hovercraft. And then this thing rolls out and it, and right away you're like the only people that would use that are mail carriers, right? Like the post office maybe could use those. I see what I see uh, the utility of that device for that single application, but no one in the world is going to ride that thing. It is so lame. Yeah. And it does. I mean, I see the balance is cool. That's cool. But this is the lamest thing I've ever seen. Now, if you go back to that moment and you think, how do you roll this out? Well, obviously, from a business perspective or like a marketing perspective, that's been gone over a thousand times. Do not, do not hype a thing up like that. Just don't do it. I don't care. Even if it was an anti-gravity device, don't hype a thing to the point that nothing you reveal can live up to the hype. So that's for, just from a marketing standpoint. But how would you have introduced that technology? Let me explain how. You would have gotten Tony Hawk. <laughs> Tony Hawk would have come in. You would have showed him, a, you know, like a, uh, a prototype. Here's, here's what this thing can do. You can stand on it. You lean forward. You go. You lean back. You slow down and stop. Tony Hawk would have gone, whoa. Okay. Here's what we should do. Put uh, big knobby tires on it. 
make it out, make it look like this and uh, don't put a speed governor on it for the love of God and give me this thing and I will practice it for a month and then we'll roll it out and I'll do like, I'll just roll out in my Tony Hawkness. I'll do 15 super awesome, weird tricks on it and then sit back and back up the money truck. Cause you're going to sell 1 billion of them. And it's just, it's like, duh, right? Like you don't, that's not a thing. You're not going to sell a million of those to like the point of that thing is not that walking is hard and we developed a better way to walk, right? right? It's nobody wants a thing to do. Uh, you don't want it. What you want is that exact device, but, but demonstrated by Tony Hawk and without a handlebar, but just like turn it into a, turn it into something cool and then let other people figure out whether they want to write it to work or not. The second thing, the second big bungle was Google glass. The concept behind Google glass is not only genius, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not genius because it's so obvious and inevitable. We're all going to be looking at heads up displays in our glasses in a very short amount of time and we should already be doing it. And the only reason we're not doing it now is that Google glass was such a dumb looking, dumb dork <laughs> product. And the people at Google were like, Oh, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it look like something out of a hammock or Schlemmer catalog or like out of sky mall. And the first thing we're going to do is make it a, a video camera so that it makes everybody uncomfortable. And you're definitely going to know if somebody's wearing Google glass because it's, it's, it's like wearing a hat that says I'm a dork and everyone's going to hate it, right? Nobody, no one is going to wear them except for people that are, that are, so invested in the technology that they don't even care how dumb they look. And if you look at all those pictures of Sergey Brin really trying to really hoping that Google glass will catch on because he's wearing these Google glass in every picture of yeah, himself. Yeah. Uh, if you go Google, uh, if you Google Sergey Brin, uh, you'll just see a thousand pictures of him wearing Google glass. And it's like, dude, it's not working. It, you're not making it look cooler. I'm afraid even Tony Hawk couldn't make them look cool. But here's what Google should have done. Google should have called Bausch and Lohm and said, we would like to partner with Ray-Ban to make this product. And we'll call it the Ray-Ban slash Google Glass, or we'll call it whatever you want. But we want to just build this technology into what we already know are cool sunglasses aviators, uh, wayfarers. We we're, we're partnering with a company that has spent a hundred years developing cool looking eyewear. And we're just going to put our technology in it. And then people will say, that's cool. And it, you, the point of it is not to announce it. The point of it is to make it ubiquitous. We all want it. I right now, if I could, have the internet up on one of my, you know, like in my peripheral vision inside my glasses, I would have it. We're all walking around with these. I mean, when I say we all, 
I'm definitely not including myself in this, but y'all are walking around with these Apple watches that are a very, very poor substitute for what Google Glass or what heads up glasses can and will be, right? The watch is a dumb way of doing it. Inside your glasses is the smart way to do it. Yeah. But it was so bungled by these dorks that don't know. This is, this is, this is what I said the other day. Like the, the greatest trick that the tech world has ever pulled is convincing us that efficiency is cool. And efficiency is not cool. It's never been cool. To make things efficient is to make them more efficient. It's to make them more, uh, to make them more reliable, to make them more functional. Those words are not words that are synonymous with cool. Reliable is not cool. Functional, not cool. Like, okay, and, what, what are the, what is cool? Because I saw you tweeting ah, about this and I ah, wanted to what talk. What is cool? Well, Precisement. Precisement. I, what is cool? I clearly have, don't, I don't, I've never claimed to know what cool is like i know it if i see it well and, but i don't and, necessarily know how to put it on very well but here's here's my here's my question i saw you tweeting about this talking about efficiency and saying efficiency is not cool and there were some of our uh, you were you were tweeting and i responded to you and and there were at least two or three people who are in in our shared audiences on twitter yeah our small overlapping audience uh-huh. who uh, who commented and said efficiency is is the definition of cool, and someone else said uh, they I used the term wackadoodle, but I know they they meant it in a, a kind way. They said that this was one of the most wackadoodle things that they they disagree with or something. So <clears throat> I I would disagree with you in that what uh, I think efficiency to me seems it seems cool, but I think oh, this is at oh. the core. Of uh, of like when I watched Happy Days, I never really I thought the Fonz was really 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 cool, but I knew that I, I he was not the guy that I was most like on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I might have wanted to be, this is like him on the on the TV show. I knew that I was not. You know, like I was not gravitating toward the Fonz. If I tried to be kind of like the Fonz, you know, I was probably more like, gosh, I don't even know. Not Richie. I wasn't even as cool as Richie. No, Dan, you were potsy. Let's be honest. Not potsy for sure. (laughs) Here's the problem, Dan, that your, that your template for discussing the concept of cool well, it goes all, back to, I'm all, thinking back always, to the first concept of cool. goes back to the Fonz. Because yeah. that was my first, I no longer think he was cool, and I don't think anything about Happy Days was cool. However, <laughs> I, it was the first time that I remember thinking to myself, besides my cousin Jeffrey, who was super cool, and he had a skateboard, and he had kind of like shaggy long hair, and he had cool bell bottoms, and like he could do tricks on the skateboard, you know, like... He and my other cousin, Bonnie, the two of them, they were very, very cool. But as a little kid, I remember thinking like the first TV show that I saw that had like a, what appealed to me as a cool character was, yes, it was the Fonz. What is that? Bad? Are you chastising me for? Dan, Dan, you don't have to explain why you, 
why you liked the fonts. Did you I'm not saying, like the fonts at that time? Man, this isn't about the fonts. Pull up a chair. Sit down. <laughs> let me explain. The, the, let me explain <laughs> the concept of cool Thank to you. someone who, that, that yeah, there's no reason you would have a concept of cool. And there's no reason that any of these nerds on the internet who are telling me that I'm wackadoodle for saying that efficiency isn't cool would have an idea about cool because none of you are cool. There is no definition of cool. If there were a definition of cool, there would be, it wouldn't be cool. Do you understand? Like cool, the, like trying to dis discern and choose and build cool is like, it's a fool's errand. Cool is this quality that is very, very, very hard to capture in a bottle. And like Tony Hawk is cool no matter what, right? If Tony Hawk showed up wearing a hat with two beer cans and, uh, and tubes going from the beer cans down into his mouth and, uh, and the hat was shaped like a block of cheese, it would look cool on him. Oh, okay. It would be cool. <laughs> now that hat is not cool. There's nothing cool about it. Right. There's nothing cool about anything about it. In fact, it's a very efficient way of carrying and delivering beer to yourself. It isn't the hat that is cool or not cool. It's that if Tony Hawk was wearing that hat, you'd be like, yeah, that's cool. That guy's, hey, he's pretty cool. Right. And so cool is not a, it's not an element of the thing. You cannot, you cannot design a thing that's cool. That's why fashion is so chaotic and why fashion is such a, um, why it's, why it can be so dynamic, but why it's ever changing. I mean, every single fashion designer every year says, I'm going to make something really cool and 95% of them fail. So what, ha what has happened in this like, contemporary world where the engineer who until very recently, the engineer was a marginalized figure in really in every aspect of culture. The engineer worked in a back room with the, with some tools and came out with a, with some data and some plans and some, you know, the engineer did the math, but the engineer was not the architect the engineer was not the planner. The engineer was not the, certainly not the designer. The engineer just did the math and built the thing, you know, or did the math to build the thing because the engineer wasn't the builder either. But now we live in a world where the engineer is the hero of the story. The engineer is the, is the one that everyone carries on the litter across the, uh, across the river because we have to protect the engineer. My God, the engineer. <laughs> And the engineers then start to do, start to make the mistake of thinking that they are the architect and they are the designer because they're the engineer. They're the one that did the math. And so they should also, they also think that they have the aesthetic sense to do the thing. And they also think that they're the wisest one. And we all think they're the wisest one because for the, for the last, for the last 20 years, we haven't understood what the engineer was doing. Right. When, when, when we're talking about building a bridge across the Hudson River, 
the engineer says, well, it's got to carry this many cars and it's got to sustain, it's got to withstand this kind of wind and this sort of tidal stuff. And we're like, yeah, okay, we get that. Can you just do the math, please? The engineer goes, oh, here's the math. And you're like, all right, here we are. We're going to build the bridge. But in the computer world, we don't, you know, the layperson doesn't even know what the engineer's talking about. It's like, oh, I got a derp, 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 lines of code and nerp, 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 derp. And then you look at what they built and you're like, huh, well, where's the menu where it uh, shows how to work? And the engineer's like, oh, well, it's over here. You got to, it's a, it's a hot key. And you're like, oh, that doesn't really make any sense to me, but I'm, I'm so confused and I need this so desperately. I think that I, sure, I'll just, I will change the way I think to accommodate that to accommodate the fact that engineers shouldn't be designing things. You're right. Shouldn't design user interfaces, shouldn't design functionality. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling about engineers because they are my bet noir, but efficiency is very cool to engineers because it's what engineers aspire to, right? It's the highest form of engineering accomplishment to be the most fit to solve the problem most efficiently. But engineers belong in a back room, hopefully a windowless room where they can only communicate with the rest of us through an intercom. And that intercom only works intermittently. And that intermittent failure of the intercom is a product of its engineering. Like engineers should not, they do, they are not the aesthetic governors of the world. They should not be designing things. They are not architects. And so we're living now in a world where what engineers think is good. The rest of us are, it's, it's, um, engineers are creating culture because, because the machines are the culture now in a way, right? Like the, the whole, the whole game that Apple's been playing where their machine is this facilitator for us that we're going to make art with the machine. The machine's just a tool. Mm -hmm. And what's really been happening is the machine becomes the culture. A lot fewer of us are using the Macintosh to make beautiful art as are using the Macintosh just to be using the Macintosh to use the Macintosh. I mean, how many of our listeners use computers to make things for computers? So the computer, the machine is becoming the heart. And so what the machine needs, what's best for the machine is what we're starting to believe is what's best for us or what's best. What is the highest uh, grade efficiency and, and, um, elegance of the the elegant code this sort of idea of like that the the most elegant code is the most virtuous code and cool is this is this other realm right of of as you described something that you can you can tell when you see it and you can put two things right next to each other you can put a 240z and a 280z right next to each other and depending on where you're coming from, you can say, wow, that 240Z is a lot cooler than that 280Z. Or you can be somebody that's like, no way, man, that 280Z is a lot cooler than that 240Z. And then neither one is right or wrong. It's, it's cool. It's not reducible to a 
to an equation. There's no, it's a, it's, and it's not just that it's, you know, completely subjective because there are things that are objectively uncool, like the Google glass. There's no, you cannot make an argument that Google glass is cool. You can make an argument that it's functional. I don't even think you can do that, but it could have been functional, but it was never going to be cool. And, and there's a tremendous inefficiency in cool. And there's, and here's the thing that burns people's britches about it is it's not egalitarian. You can't, not everybody can be cool. And that has stung a lot of us our whole lives. Oh, I'm not cool. I hate not being cool. And so because I hate not being cool, I hate the idea of cool. I hate people that are cool. I hate that the cool people get to say that I'm not cool. And you know, a lot of that is some of the most in, that's some intrinsic human stuff. Right. And we try to eliminate it now by saying, you know, it's, it's, it's a subtext of the anti-bullying conversation, which is that if we could remove the concept of cool, so that everyone was equally cool and nobody was ever more cool than someone else, then that would be a, that that would be a positive good for the world. Eliminate cool completely. Um, but you can't eliminate cool because if you take, if you take seven five-year-olds and you line them up against the wall, you can pick the cool one. <laughs> you know, if you put, if you put seven two-year-olds next to each other, you'd be like, you know, that one's pretty cool. This one over here is not cool. It's like cool is a, it's like, a, it's, it's a spectrum of light almost. <laughs> do you think, do you think that, that there is, because people who are engineers and engineers kind of do rule the world right now, that if enough people think that something is cool that they're redefining what's cool because like I remember being a kid and I don't know if I've told you this story but I think you'll understand it I feel like I have I was in fifth grade and the uh the Devo album uh, which I believe I'm trying to remember which year that would have been so this would have probably been 1980 I'd have to look it up but freedom of choice yeah that's 1980 freedom of choice the album came out and this is Devo had it had whip it on it and I absolutely loved this album I had I felt like there was finally uh, music I could really connect deeply with and a band that was clearly a bit nerdy and a bit weird and not trying intensely to be cool in the traditional way. And that made them incredibly cool to me. And I absolutely got, I like I became a member of the Devo fan club. You could send away and all of this was incredibly cool to me. But I realized that liking Devo 
even though Whip It was a very popular song. I don't remember how well it did, but it was certainly in the top, you know, 10 or 20 uh, at, a, at the time. Everyone knew the song. Yeah, but that's, uh, but I don't think that's actually true. I, I think it was in the top 10 or 20 of songs that everybody knew in 1980. But if you look at the, if you look at the charts, Whip It was not in the top 10. Uh, it, that that's a little bit of a perception bias, right? We were in junior high and right. we were all like, whip it. Oh my God. But see now the other people that I knew, they did not like Devo. And, and I remember when I was talking to some of my closest friends about how excited I was that like I had the album, you know, like I had it and I loved it and I thought it was great. And I kept listening to it. That just the mention of Devo, I, I was sort of shunned by, maybe they were looking for a reason anyway, but I was sort of shunned by a couple of my friends, one of whom even did the little uh, cross symbol. You put up your two fingers, one's going sideways, one's going up and down in the shape of a cross as if you wanted to ward off a vampire. Well, but Dan, you're making, a, you're making another classic mistake, which is conflating popularity with cool. Well, no, I'm not making that mistake. What I'm saying is that this was this was the kind of reaction that I got whenever the things that I, whenever I shared the things that I thought were cool. And I think that there are a whole lot of people who would self-identify as geeks today who went through similar experiences finding out that like they thought computers were cool. You're going with your engineering theme for example. They thought that computers were cool, or they thought D&D was cool, or they thought whatever was cool. And the response that they got from their peers was like, that's not cool, you're not cool, you're weird, you shouldn't think that way. And... Yeah, I understand the, I understand the contemporary like misapprehension that cool is some kind of social justice issue. Right. And that... that uh, that there, that part of the geek revolution has been to assert uh, that comic books and computers are cool, and that that has been a sort of liberation theology. Sure, sure. This and, is where I wanted you to go. Yeah, and that's you know that is absolutely like all well and good, and it's and it's in the form of it. it the thing is that it is not as much of a revolution as people want to think, right? It is a, it's absolutely a question of 240Z versus 280Z. If you think that comic books are cool, then you think a 280Z is cool. If you think that punk rock is cool, then you think a 240Z is cool. Like cool is not, there is no one kind of cool. And if you, if you go talk to punk rockers our age, who I think a lot of nerds would probably say like, oh, they're really cool. And that's the kind of cool that scares us the most. And it's the kind of cool <laughs> that excluded us the most. And that is the version of cool that, that nerd culture is trying to, you know, to upend and to liberate us from this like cigarette smoking, you know, like skinny jeans wearing cool that punk rock represents. But if you go talk to any punk rocker, they will, tell a story exactly like yours or exactly like any nerd where they're like, I was spit upon. 
I was shunned. People made the vampire cross at me all because I liked the psychedelic furs. Right. Or all because I wore eyeliner. I mean, the, some of the, some of the first people to do like gender bending public, like outward public expressions of like gender fluidity were punk and new waivers, right? Who were just like, yeah, I wore eyeliner to school and all of a sudden I'm getting my ass kicked out by the dumpsters. But you know, now that, that to, to someone outside that's that culture, they look so cool. They seem so cool that of course all doors must open for them. I mean, this is the problem of cool. If you're cool by very, by very definition, you are shunned by most people by the mainstream because there's nothing cool about the mainstream and the mainstream hates anything that that is even slightly different right prince was extremely cool prince was also terrifying if you could imagine if you could imagine being just some bro walking down the street in minneapolis in 1982 and here comes prince on a purple motorcycle right wearing like a wearing a uh, a veil like it throws the whole it throws the whole game into question but now we look at Prince and we think there was never a cooler person that, I mean, the, the going, the bucking, the tide thing is intrinsic to being cool. Um, I'm saying that if that efficiency is, has never been the standard, right? Efficiency is its own virtue. If a thing is efficient, it doesn't, it, it, that's the, that's the highest order it can achieve. It is efficient. The end. It does not then transmit to coolness because coolness is not, it's like saying, uh, this orange is round. Therefore it's fast. It's not fast. Mm. It's, it's round. Um, and there are round things that go fast like baseballs, but it's not, it's not fast just because it's round. Like cool is another, a, a higher order or a, or a different order of measuring things. And in my experience, the more efficient a thing gets, maybe it's cooler in the sense that it needs less, uh, it doesn't generate as much heat. <laughs> it's cooler in that sense, but it isn't, but, but it, it, it but it's wrong to talk about because perhaps the Google Glass was the most efficient solution. Perhaps the, I mean, and when you go back to the, the, the Windows versus iOS battles, sure. right? I mean, a lot of the Windows people just, you know, scowled at Apple people for 20 years saying that it was all flash and no substance, all style. Um, and that, that windows was the platform where people were really doing the efficient number crunching, the hard engineering, the big, the big lifting. Right now, Apple has won that battle for the most part in the public eye and largely won it on style. But now that it, it, now that it all seems inevitable, I mean, you remember it didn't seem inevitable. No, you, you remember a time when having a Mac 
was not was was, was a, weird. Yeah, it was not was cool. weirdo. Yeah, it was some weirdo shit. Like, oh, are you some kind of what are you like a ballet dancer or right, something? Like, why, why do you, do you have, a, have that? Why yeah. would you have that? It's right. not compatible with anything. Are you just some kind of weird like hippie artist or something. I remember. I remember going to the computer store, thinking about buying a Mac and being worried that it wasn't <laughs> going to be compa- that it was a Betamax. It wasn't going to be compatible with anything. And it wouldn't have been, and it wasn't. Right. Even with other Macs, necessarily. <laughs> and, you know, and... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Mac and Apple did not, over, did not win that battle because it was more efficient. It won it because it was cooler. And, and that was a component of style more than it was a... Comp- that more than it was, like efficiency or i mean they bet their whole horse on the fact that that rather than have our rather than buy a computer that interacted with all the other computers that we collectively would slowly replace all of our gadgets with things that worked with it right like I had a Macintosh at home, but I had some Verizon phone. I had a Blackberry and they wouldn't (laughs) interact with each other. Sure. And there were more Blackberries than there were Macintoshes. But Apple stuck to their guns that I would rather than rather than give up on Apple and say, well, I got to get a computer to interact with my Blackberry that I would sit around with a with a half assed thing for four years waiting for Apple to build a phone. And as soon as they did, I would get it because I wanted it to interact with my computer. And, you know, that was a, that was a ballsy bet on their part. And it was, and, and, and it was all style the the, the choices I was making, cause all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was take pictures and send them to my computer. I didn't care about the engineering. I didn't care about the efficiency. I just wanted the style because I'm just one of those people. I'm just a normal. So cool, Dan, if, if there was a way to encapsulate it in even a paragraph, Mm -hmm. you know, but there isn't, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of confidence and, and difference and, uh, inefficiency for the sake of flair so there i want to i want to say for just for the sake of clarity i'm when you say cool you're talking about cool in the in 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 a bigger way in a bigger sense cool in the concept of cool oh that's the only way to talk about okay because a lot of people and my interpretation of what you're tweeting about a lot of people use the term cool, not in the way that you're meaning it, which is very much, I think, from our time, to the way that people will use cool to mean, I like that, or something I like. Hmm. So, for example, uh, I'm trying to oh, think. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? In, in, yeah. Synonymous with, I like that. So, yeah, so, for example, if you, if you, if you were to, if you were to show me, if you're a f- developer and you're like, dude, look at look at this Ruby code I just wrote. Like, look at this, and I'd be like, oh, uh, oh, you're doing this with this. You did it without even using a gem. Oh, that's cool. No, that's not cool. Like, I understand that's not cool. What it is is it's efficient. It's 
uh, an, a, a, a nice technique. It's something I like or that I admire or something that, that I appreciate that I would use the word cool for that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. When I don't mean cool in the sense of like Sid Vicious cool, but cool in, in not Tony Hawk cool, but cool in the sense of this is something that I appreciate. This is the social justice problem where people have people were sad about being told they were uncool and they say and they co-opted the word. Yeah. Now you can't tell me <laughs> that anything I like is uncool. Right. 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 They, they've decided that it's cool what they're doing and that that is that and that if you use the word cool um, in anything other than a totally affirmative way, then you're being um, discriminatory. And in fact, yes, cool is the soul of discrimination. And by discrimination, I mean choosing between things. And it's and we're living in a crazy world. If you if you cannot discriminate between things because the um, because you cannot hear the word discrimination without thinking of, of it in a negative context. Right. It's like you can no longer use the word niggardly because it sounds like a bad word, even though they have completely different roots. Um, you cannot describe a bundle of sticks as a faggot, although no one ever did. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, these are, these are some Gamergate arguments, but you know what I mean? Like, the fact is that Patty Smith is desperately cool. I do not enjoy her music, really. It's not a thing I would listen to independently. I went to see her and I thought she was an amazing performer, but there's no arguing that she's cool. She's very, very cool, which is not to say even that she's good. Uh, she's certainly not like something I would say I like, but she's. She is discernibly cool, cooler than a lot of things I like better. She's cooler than Duran Duran. Now, Duran Duran is very cool. Duran Duran is much cooler than One Direction. And these are all from, these are all from inside me, right? I mean, right. You, might, you might think that One Direction is very cool and that, <laughs> that uh, Patti Smith is not, right. uh, although you'd be wrong. But like cool is different from what I like and it isn't, and it is very definitely a judgment, but it's not a, it's not a judgment that, um, it's not a judgment. It's not a judgment that has anything to do with anything. It's just that like, is there a golden mean? You know, if you, if you put up, uh, if you put up Leonardo's description of the, you know, the, the, his graphic of the human body in its perfect proportions, right? The artistic proportions. Um, does that represent a, an, a, an aesthetic insight that, you know, that the distance between the nose and the chin and the distance between the shoulder and the waist have a, uh, there, there is a most elegant ratio. And that's just a thing that was noticed. But once it was noticed, then math supported it. And I don't think math discovered it first. I think it was the eye discovered it and then math right, right. confirmed it. But, it, but the, it, the math wasn't bent to 
the will of the eye, right? The math is there. And it is most pleasing to the eye. Yeah. What, what the math confirms. And so at that, you begin to see that aesthetics are not just a dream. And it isn't just a question of, well, you like this and I like that. And we both and our likes are equal. So therefore blank. Right. And I see that that is also an argument for how efficiency is cool. Just in the sense that the math confirms what the eye beholds. And it's real. It's not just... You know, it's not that Tony Hawk can, uh, you know, can, can do like a, a backside 180 over the math and somehow defeat it, right, with his coolness. But at the, at the point at which you, you trend into a world where you put Keith Richards and up, up on a, you know, stand him on a chair and say, what, like, describe the math to me here about why Keith Richards is cool, cooler than Kenny Loggins. Here's Kenny Loggins on a chair. Here's Keith Richards on a chair. Like, where, show me the math. I suspect there is math. Yeah, yeah. I suspect in the fractal understanding of, of aesthetics as they, as they, like, crumble off into infinity you could find every little particle of keith richards and say this is why this is cooler than kenny loggins and you know and one out of a thousand points kenny loggins scores one like oh yeah kenny loggins <laughs> he does have a better beard than keith richards Bing! you know but on the whole those aesthetics do matter they are real but we haven't decoded the fractals the, and and the, it doesn't follow from the math, right? You have to see it and then find the math. And it is, and I am talking about cool as a as an analog to the word beauty. That you that in in one sense beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and so you can say I think that uh, Jabba the Hutt is beautiful and. So you can't tell me he's not like, yes, beauty is absolutely in the eye of the beholder and everyone has their own taste. But then there is this sort of, uh, like platonic beauty also and where, and cool is absolutely relative related to that. You, I mean, there are a million billion kinds of cool, but there's also a platonic cool that we're always trying to find. And that, that's very, that appeals to me. That's very appealing to me to understand what that is because, because you see it in action all the time. And it is indefinable. And, and it's not just math, it's chemistry too. That certain things, you know, certain, certain even like, if you stand in this spot, then X, you know, if you stand in this spot and the juxtaposition of this, this, and this creates this other thing, 
Cool is related to that too. And, and I, and I guess my, my tweeting and my argument, my fight is that engineering likes to reduce things down to, because that is what is good engineering. That's what works best in engineering. But in doing so, engineers eliminate all kinds of beauty that isn't the beauty of efficiency. And efficiency is a kind of beauty, but it isn't the top beauty. It isn't really even in the, it's in the pantheon of beauty, but it isn't in the top rank of considerations when you're, when you're talking about wanting things to be beautiful, wanting the world to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, and because we have ceded so much authority to engineers now, and because they see primarily beauty inefficiency, we're all kind of suffering from that. Um, and, who, and whatever was the genius of Steve Jobs was that he said, no, 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 no. Like, yes, this could be much more efficient if we didn't make it beautiful, but we, but that's not what we're making here. And there, you know, and then that's why he's hero worshiped. You know, that's why he's seen as such a, as such a legend because he insisted on things being pretty. And I'm sitting here looking at my dumb, pretty thing right now and saying, thank you. My God, it could be so much worse. (laughs) It could really be so much worse if there weren't just a few, Arty farties out there. <laughs>